Good morning, everyone. We're in the midst of a series on spiritual disciplines, the practices, the things that Jesus did and that we should do to strengthen our connection with God the Father. We've spoken about the importance of imitating Jesus in his practices, about the necessity of discipline, and the specific role that fasting plays in the life of the Christian. This morning, we turn our attention to the discipline of giving, as described in Jesus' warfare manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Verse 1 is the summary of everything that Jesus will say in chapter 6. These practices, these disciplines, are not for public display. Anything done in public is not intended for a heavenly audience, but for the adulation of the crowds, for the benefit of earthly reputation. Jesus warns against praying in public, fasting obviously, or giving ostentatiously. Those who do these things publicly have their reward in full, whereas those who do these things secretly will be rewarded by the Father, who sees what is done in secret. This talk of reward is something that Western Christians don't like to talk about, yet the Gospels are full of talk about reward and cost. It's a regular theme of Jesus, and particularly here in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. The word reward appears seven times in chapter 6 alone. Western Christians are uncomfortable with the idea of rewards. We've convinced ourselves with help from the very logical ancient Greeks, that anything good that's done out of hope of reward is actually not good at all. That the only good thing is altruistic. Things done because they are right or good, not with hope of reward or payment. The Greek philosophers argued that the hope of reward taints the good thing. And as a result, no one is really good. This is then complicated with the Reformation and rereading Augustine, and the doctrine of salvation by faith through grace. The idea that people are saved, that is, bound for heaven, not because of anything they do, but because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Western Christians, and evangelicals in particular, have a dread fear of earning our salvation. The fear that if we do anything, any good work, rather than resting completely in the gracious work of God for salvation, that we are in fact rejecting grace and instead trusting in our own works. This is taken to its logical extremes in the doctrine of the Calvinists, who see repentance as a work, and that as a result, people must be saved before they can repent. We are not of that ilk. We would say that God is always at work in all people, helping them, drawing them, encouraging them, and calling them to work with him. One of my favorite writers puts it like this. God never raises a crop of potatoes or a field of wheat or a bushel of oats without man's help. He takes men into partnerships with him in such matters. He furnishes the sunshine and the air, the rain and the dew, the day and the night, the fruitful seasons, the busy burrowing little earthworms and insects which keep the lungs of the earth open so that it can breathe. 
He gives life to the seed so that it may grow. Man must prepare the ground, plant the seed, keep down the weeds and gather the harvest. Men sometimes think that they are doing it all, but they're quite mistaken in this. Our loving Heavenly Father has been preparing the earth for thousands of years for every potato that grows, and he ceaselessly works by day and by night to help man raise his crops. And so it is in matters that concern our souls. God and man must work together both to save and to sanctify. God never saves a sinner without that sinner's help, and usually with the help of some other folks as well who preach or pray, write or sing or suffer, that he may be saved. See, God has designed the world in such a way that we are part of his work. There are consequences for actions, rewards for good actions and pain and loss for bad actions. The reward for planting potatoes and keeping the weeds down is that you get a bag of potatoes at the end and eventually Samboy tomato flavoured short chips. The reward for not planting potatoes and not keeping the weeds down is hunger and eventually death. There are two opposite extremes here, and both are wrong. One is that it's all down to us. That we must save ourselves through hard work and intelligence and science and rigorous action. And the other is God must do everything, and that we have no part to play. And indeed, any attempt to play a part is offensive to God. The Greek philosophers and Augustine and the Calvinists have done us no favours here. And as a result, we have a Western Christianity that's academic and shallow and pathetic. Anytime a Christian tries to plant a potato, they leap into action and warn us that only God can make potatoes grow. And how dare we try to add to God's sovereign plants? Our response must be very simple. Yes, only God can make potatoes grow. But we have a part to play in the process. Perhaps it's the COVID muddling my brain. Why am I talking about potatoes? It's because there is a reward for doing right things in the right way. And that is how God designed the universe. It's not wrong to want rewards from our Heavenly Father. This is not salvation by works or failing to be altruistic. It's just the way the universe is built. It's not wrong to want the rewards our Heavenly Father offers us. Those are the fruit of the plants. They are the purpose of the plant. How should we think about this? First of all, we are saved by grace. The only reason anyone can recognize Jesus as Lord is because God graciously opens their heart by the power of his spirit. The question is, what do you do with the salvation you've been graciously given? Upon receiving salvation by grace, we must ask how much will we yield to the spirit working in our hearts? To what degree will we allow our relationship with Christ given us by grace to transform us into Christ-likeness. Paul put it this way, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One dimension of our gracious salvation is that God is at work in us, empowering us to want to do God's good pleasure, and which is to transform us into the image of Christ. Another dimension is the role we play in this transformation. It's our job to work with the Spirit to make obvious this grace in every area of our life. 
This lays the groundwork for us to understand how we are rewarded for working out our salvation. Some rewards are external, while others are inherent or organic. For example, having a deep capacity to give and receive love and to experience the joy of helping others is the reward for cultivating that kind of character day by day. The New Testament is not saying that God will give treats to all good boys and girls because they have worked out their salvation. Instead, striving to get every aspect of your life in line with the truth will deepen your capacity to experience God's good and perfect will. Jesus teaches that if we give to display false righteousness, we have our reward. If we intentionally keep it secret, so there's no ulterior motive in giving, then we are storing up rewards in heaven. Jesus is challenging us to develop the kind of generous character that loves to give, not to get noticed, but just because generosity reflects God's character and it's the best way to live. God is incredibly generous and he calls us to be generous as well. How is God generous? Jesus tells us in the passage immediately before this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? God's generosity extends to showing love and care and mercy and kindness, even to the people who despise him and ignore him and hate him. And Jesus calls us to be similarly generous. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Or as Luke remembers these words of Jesus, he says, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Someday we will come into the undiluted presence of the generous God. And the character we develop now will determine how much of that generosity we can participate in. And we will spend the rest of eternity growing in our capacity to enjoy the presence of God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that what we reap is what we sow. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Being generous with our money and our time and our talents and our treasure now forms our character in a Christ-like direction and there are inherent rewards that come from that. Generosity will reward us throughout eternity. I would encourage you today to do that, to lay up treasure in heaven, to read the words of Jesus, to think about what it is he says, how we should live, how we should be generous. Are there any questions this morning? I'm not there to answer your questions, I apologise. If there are questions, please send me an email or an SMS or give me a phone call. Very happy to discuss these things with you. I want to remind you of who we are and what we're about. We want people to meet Jesus. So we want to grow to be like Jesus. We want to become more like him so that when people encounter us in the street or over Zoom or however they meet us, 
they get a whiff, they get a sense that Jesus has been there. We want to be like Jesus. We want people to meet Jesus, so we want to share Jesus' message, his amazing story of who he is and what he has come to do. We want to share the good news that we are saved by grace through faith, not through our own good works. We want to share that message. And we want people, we want people to meet Jesus, so we want to love like Jesus. We want to love one another. We want to encourage one another. We want to build each other up. We want to love both our brothers and sisters in Christ and also our enemies, those who hate us and despise us. We want to love like Jesus. So I want to encourage you this week to find someone you can love. Even if it's just giving a phone call to someone in a nursing home, someone in isolation, or someone you haven't seen at church this week, get a copy of a directory and find someone who you've not spoken to for a little while and just give them a phone call or an SMS to let them know that you love them, encouraging them, building them up. I want to encourage you to find a neighbour or someone you can show love to this week in the name of Jesus. We want people to meet Jesus. So we want to grow, we want to share, we want to love. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you today for Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. I want to thank you for your amazing generosity in sending your son to earth to show us what you're really like. Help us to live in a way that brings honour and glory to him. Help us to be generous like our Heavenly Father is generous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.